At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It's uh, St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patty's Day uh, for everybody out there that's celebrating, and I'm looking forward to celebrating with you. As soon as the show is over, we're going to go Aaron Gobrog and find that, uh, what's it, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But first, we're going to talk about the news tonight, and I want to give you the phone number if you want to join the national conversation here in our late-night town hall. Feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number. We've got uh, a lot of good guests tonight, as usual. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we're going to have a lively discussion on lots of different things. News of the day with Leah Sur and I, um, you know her from Newsmax TV. We're also going to get the scoop on what's going on with Medicare and how the Democrats are positioning themselves to sunset Medicare and pull the plug on it. That's Robert Moffat. He's going to join us discussing that from the Heritage Foundation. And, uh, we also have a, uh, an update on what's going on with all these banks and failures and whatnot. Our buddy Dennis Neal, former uh, editor at the Wall Street Journal and uh, podcast host, he's going to be joining us as well. But first, I want to talk about these headlines that we're looking at with Vladimir Putin uh, being put on notice that there's a warrant for his arrest. And this is interesting to me because there'd been talk about this for quite some time. But it hadn't actually materialized as of yet. But I want to get into that very quickly before we move on to any of the other domestic headlines. And I want you to listen to this clip. The International Criminal Court has issued two warrants of arrest in the Ukraine situation. For Vladimir Putin, President of the Russian Federation, and for Maria Lvovabelova, Commissioner of the Russian President for Children's Right, for the alleged war crimes of deportation of children from Ukrainian-occupied territories into the Russian Federation. So that is the announcement that was made by the ICC earlier today. And uh, again, this matters because these arrest warrants are for Putin and uh, other uh, Russian officials. And it's the first international charges ever issued since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The ICC issued an arrest warrant for Putin, as you just heard, and for Maria uh, he said it way better than I did. Alexeyevnyaya. I'm pretty sure I messed that one up. Luvova Belova. That's a lot of names right there, Maria. But anyway, uh, her too. And this is because she's the commissioner for children's rights. 
And uh, the allegations are that they were smuggling children from Ukraine into Russia. More than 40 countries that are a part of the ICC requested the intervention of the International Criminal Court, according to the New York Times, which first reported on the this news as it broke, blah, 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 blah. The Kremlin says, look, we don't even recognize the ICC or its jurisdiction, and that's okay. Listen, I'm not going to beat them up on that because I think the United States um, shouldn't acknowledge it either. You know, to me, the International Criminal Court is really just an arm of the UN, but it's interesting that this is what's happening, right? So take it for what it's worth. Now, they're, um, the, the main uh, allegation here, Russia systemically relocated 6,000 children from Ukraine to Russia since the start of the war. Now, some, of course, if you're a pro-Putin patriot, then you believe that Putin went into the Ukraine to rescue children that were being trafficked by evil Ukrainians and that he's rescuing them and bringing them to his re-education camps, you know, in Russia. If you're not a fan of Putin's and you're a fan of Zelensky's, then you believe that Putin is stealing kids from the Ukraine, bringing them to Russia to brainwash them and turn them into, you know, good, loyal Russians. Um, if you're in the middle, kind of like I am, because I don't think there's good guys on either side of this war, then um, you think that people are stealing kids because it's easiest to indoctrinate children. Uh, I've got no reason to believe that anybody is a hero here, but maybe I can be proven wrong. We'll find out as we move forward. Many of the children who were taken to these camps and other facilities engaged in pro-Russia re-education efforts. According to the report, some of the facilities were used for foster care or adoption in Russia and Crimea. Kareem Khan is the ICC's chief prosecutor, and he previously indicated that these abductions were a priority for the investigators in his office. Now, Russian missile strikes have frequently targeted energy facilities and water supplies and residential buildings, but have nothing to do with helping children and everything to do with, you know, destroying Ukraine and putting people out of their misery, which they're considering to be or actually putting people into misery, I should say. And they're um, they're considering these to be war crimes. So that's uh, part of the big deal there. Now, another part of the big deal today is that there's a lot of um, murmurings about Alvin Bragg, the very, in my opinion, corrupt left wing prosecutor for Manhattan, the Manhattan D.A., uh, who is now asking for meetings with law enforcement because he intends to issue an indictment that is incredibly thin, it's incredibly flimsy, and it's incredibly weak. And most people who don't like Trump are saying, this doesn't look like it's going to get a conviction. So it's clearly a political stunt. They're doing this for the sake of doing what they can to muster up an indictment to say that they indicted him. However, typically, most prosecutors like to go after an indictment where they can actually get the bad guy. So I don't know what's happening there. Maybe it's the same thing they're doing in the International Criminal Court. Maybe they're going after Putin, knowing Putin's going to say, I don't acknowledge you. I don't accept you. Take care. Brush your hair. If you try and get near me, we're going to bomb you. Right. Who knows? I don't know that to be the case in Russia, but I do know that to be the case in New York City. So we're going to have that discussion. But just to give you the scoop on that. Uh, Fox News is reporting that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is uh, seeking these meetings to coordinate security uh, because they're looking to possibly indict Trump as early as next week is what they say. And why are they indicting Trump? Well, this has everything to do with Stormy Daniels. Now, President Trump is um, is being um, I guess they're going to they're trying to make a case against him for the way that he reimbursed Michael Cohen 
his then attorney. Now, Cohen, you know, went to jail and he's a convicted felon and whatnot. And uh, he he's written a book. I think it's called Betrayal. And he's totally anti-Trump, flipped on Trump. So he's there's an animus towards Trump. And despite there being all this bad blood, he's the star witness in this prosecution for superstar prosecutor Alvin Bragg. I mean, you just you can't make this stuff up. The whole thing is is shoddy to begin with, just like the last lady that was like, no, we got to get him. We got to get him on something. Right. Remember that crazy lady in the Georgia special uh, uh, grand jury. I mean, these people are grasping at straws, trying to make something up so they can say, we got him. I told you we'd lock him up. We got him. I don't know that they've got anything on their hands, but that's what the uh, murmurings are. So we'll see what's going on. We'll keep our ear to the ground and keep you updated. And uh, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about Hunter Biden. We're going to talk about uh, Drew Barrymore groveling before this uh, trans idol Dylan Mulvaney. And we're also going to talk about how Gavin Newsom is building tiny homes for homeless people, even though half of all America's homeless live in California. So is he building drug communities or trying to solve uh, the homeless crisis? I don't know. I think he's just adding to the criminality that's spreading across America. Anyway, uh, don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I look at someone like you, and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh, please. Do you know, do you want to know, ironically, who uh, dislikes me the most sometimes? Who? Myself. Oh, me too. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I know some of you are wondering, should I cry? Should I laugh? Anyway, that is Drew Barrymore, uh, big Hollywood icon, who I'm a fan of. I, I don't have any issue. But she was on her knees um, trying to empathize with the TikTok star who's famous for being a transsexual. And there's an even better clip of audio where he sings about women have bulges, women have bulges, women have bulges, something like that. Maybe we'll grab that audio if we can during the break. It's pretty funny. And if not, I'll put it on social media for you. But that's Drew Barrymore and Dylan Mulvaney having this little love fest. And it's more of the normalization of the crazy that we see happening every day in our society and our culture. And to help us make sense of it, I want to bring in somebody who's an expert on the news of the day and on pop culture. You've seen her on TV a million times. She's Emmy award-winning journalist. She was on Fox 5 New York before that. Lydia Suranai. Now, Lydia is my sister from another mister. We worked for a while together uh, at WABC Radio in New York City. Lydia, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to my liberty-loving Latino. Yay! That's me. All right. So, so let's talk about this. Uh, th these videos are making the rounds all over the place, right? And we're seeing this guy, Dylan. He's very comical. He's very entertaining. He's a very funny guy. You know, watching him is funny. Fun I don't want to say funny-looking, but, you know, entertaining. And Drew Barrymore on her talk show. And, and I'm just um, I'm thinking, you know— is this more of the indoctrination from the left or is it really just bleeding hearts that just want to be all things to all people? You know, what's interesting is that Dylan Mulvaney, about a year ago, he was on The Price is Right and he was a male and he identified as a male. And now oh, wow. all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, there's video on social media 
And so now all of a sudden he's this basic, like uh, he's, he's basically a social media icon for transgender children, even though he's in his mid twenties and he's becoming like a millionaire overnight. So I, I just can't help but wonder, is he doing this because he really does believe in the cause? I mean, he's undergone surgery and he's documenting it all. Or is it also being driven by the fact that he's becoming very, very rich by doing this? And what's really frightening to me is to see Drew Barrymore, which is she's a very talented actress. She seems very sweet. Clearly, she has her own demons as well. But for her to literally kneel down before the trans idol and look up to this person who clearly, if he does believe that he is truly now a woman, is suffering from some sort of mental disorder, gender dysphoria, and thinks that he could get surgery and take some hormones and now magically, poof, he becomes a woman. That's really frightening to me that people think that they can change their genders. Well, I don't know why you would think that's crazy, Lydia, because all you got to do is watch TV for about five minutes and all you do is see <laughs> this type of thing, right? Um, people do it day in and day out, like RuPaul and all his friends that are having these drag queen story hours for little children. It seems to be a pretty natural occurrence. But notwithstanding that, I want to I want to get back to Drew Barrymore, because, again, uh, I, I think she's terrific. And and I think she's like most people who who don't look at this as anything other than they take people at their word. Right. She's thinking this guy feels trapped like a woman inside of a man's body and I feel so badly about you and here you are pouring your heart out and let me open up my heart to receive you. And I think she does what most people do. Uh, The issue here is I think you're bringing up the other side of the story like uh, Paul Harvey used to say and bringing out the fact that you know, he's not somebody who went through a gender transition as a young child and whatnot. And this could be for the sake of commercialism. And again, he wouldn't be the first person to exploit that or ride ride a, a wave for publicity or for money earning potential. But it, it makes me wonder, who else is on board? Are these doctors that are willing to do these surgeries, are they doing it because they're sold out ideologically? Or are they doing it because, hey, The more of these surgeries we have, the more we make. Now, I'm not trying to insult every doctor that's listening right now, and I would hate to think that I'm even right in making a statement like that. I hope that the answer to that is no. But what are your thoughts, Lydia Serrani? You can't help but wonder what is the motive behind this. The drugs that they use to give to these people and even children are the same drugs that are used for metastatic hormonal cancers, whether it be breast cancer or prostate cancer. So if you have like a 14-year-old that's being given this drug, it's one of them, it's called Lupron, it causes osteoporosis. Are we going to see 30-year-olds with osteoporosis? Uh, You even hear about kids that decide they want to trans back. They want to go back to their original gender, but they have atrophy in their private area. The devastating side effects from just the drugs, and people are like, well, as long as they don't have the surgery, but let's just give them the hormones. These are life-altering hormones as well. And when you have the highest office in the land, when you have the president of the United States invite Dylan when he's dressed up as a woman and acting like almost like a caricature of women and, and saying, oh, yes, we need to do gender-affirming care for children and that it saves lives. Rich, you tell me. You do a lot of research. I do a lot of research. I host a show on Newsmax, and I talk to all different types of people and journalists and researchers. I have yet to find a single study that says that undergoing a transgender surgery or taking these hormones actually saves lives. 
In fact, I'm still seeing that the suicide rates, the you know, the overdoses, everything is still the same, if not worse. Have you seen any differently? I haven't seen it, but I'm going to venture to say that there might be one coming out by Pfizer very, very soon. And the rest of these companies <laughs> that produce these drugs, right? Because that's that's how this medicine seems to work today. And then they'll hire a guy like Anthony Fauci to be in charge of the study and, and pick, you know, who actually gets to do what, just like he did with EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. But you're, you're right. Um, it, they, they make the claim to parents saying, look, would you rather have a, a living daughter or son that's, you know, Know, now your daughter's a son or your son's a daughter or, or or a dead kid and they try to make the case that they're going to kill themselves and unfortunately it seems like they're killing themselves and mass after they take the drugs after they have these these procedures so to me it begs the question we as regular people and I, I maybe I'm wrong in saying regular but I mean those that aren't mentally ill dealing with people that are mentally ill if at what point do we bear the responsibility? You know, if you see somebody that's schizophrenic dressed in a Santa suit on 42nd Street and 8th Avenue and they think that they're whatever, they're not invisible, right? They're going to get hit by a bus. At what point do we uh, do we say, hey, you, hey, me, um, we got to grab this guy and pull him out of the street before something goes wrong because clearly this person isn't in their right mind. And when you're dealing with children that are dealing with these issues, you know, this Mulvaney guy's in his 20s, clearly an adult. But when you have children that are dealing with the same gender dysphoria, the same type of thing, I feel like it's incumbent upon us, or at least at a very minimum, those on the front lines, the doctors, for them to say, hey, look, uh, we, we can't do this in good faith. You know, we have to tell you the truth here. If you've got this, you've got that, we got we to gotta handle the, the mental health aspect of this. And, and if you really do need hormones, maybe we need to give you the hormones that you're missing, right? If you're a boy and you feel feminine, maybe you, maybe you're missing some testosterone. I never see that part of the conversation even being had. Do you? That is such an excellent point. Exactly. Maybe they have a hormonal balance. And rather than give them, say, more hormones to suppress their, their uh, male hormone, whether it be testosterone or girls suppressing the estrogen, maybe they need a boost. Maybe, they're, maybe their diet is off. I mean, and you hear it over and over again that a lot of these kids that are transgender, they have comorbidities, they have bipolar, they have schizophrenia, they have depression, they have anxiety. I, I just can't believe that we're now in a state of our society where we have the president of the United States, where we have a top medical doc doctor, Dr. Rachel Levine, in the Biden administration, who's advocating to have children be mutilated and to give them life-altering drugs where they won't be able to procreate at the very least. If they're lucky, that's all that will happen to them because we've seen so many devastating side effects. That's what's really frightening to me. And it's interesting. I was at work today. And, you know, we have, I'm in a newsroom, so everybody has their own opinions, even though I'm, I'm, I work at Newsmax and we are a conservative channel. You have people that have their own beliefs there as well. And, and one of uh, a, a coworker of mine said, I don't have a problem with people that are transgender. I said, I don't, I'm, I'm not transphobic either. I'm not afraid of a trans person. I guess I'm a trans denier because I believe the way God made us is perfect and he makes no mistakes. Lydia, so I guess hold right there. Hold that thought. Uh, we're coming right back. It's Lydia Serrani from Newsmax, Rich Valdez, America at Night, 8334-VALDEZ. If you want to weigh in, don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Lydia Serrani. You know her from Newsmax TV. You've probably heard her on the radio before. She's terrific. Lydia, before the break, um, we were talking about um, your your story about being at work and people having a difference of opinion. Right. There was a coworker of mine, and we were talking about trans um, women being in locker rooms. And I said, you know, I go to the gym and I I would be uncomfortable if there was a a biological male undressing in front of me. Yeah, if you go to the the gym and Rich Valdez is hanging out in your locker room, I I think you'd be taken aback, right? I think we all would. would, I'm taken aback if I saw you in the men's locker room, right? It's just a natural thing, I would think. And and then my coworker was like, why? Why? What's wrong with it? Just look the other way. And that's what I, I looked at her and I said, no. We can't look the other way. I hate to be hyperbolic, but would we, we, we can't keep looking away. I mean, is that what you would say about, oh, look at, look at what's going on? You can't compare the two, obviously, but what, what, about the Jews. Oh, they're being discriminated against or black people that are being discriminated against or any other injustices. I'm not saying to be nasty to them or anything like that, but at what point do we say enough with the insanity? And I wouldn't want my daughter, if she's playing a sport, I mean, she's only six years old now, but I know you have two daughters that are very active in sports, and you would be uncomfortable if there was a male changing in the locker room, or if she went to an away game, and there was a guy that went on the school trip with them and had to stay in the same hotel room. I mean, at what point do we say, no, it's not right, and we're not going to take it anymore? Yeah, I think you're right. And we saw a case like that not too long ago. Uh, at the end of the month, last month, a, a transgender woman who was had not undergone gender reassignment surgery, facing indecent exposure charges after women were complaining uh, that they were in the locker room at the YMCA. And um, right. the woman's name is Darren, Darren Glynis, 31 years old, uh, you know, has all of the male genitalia hanging out in the women's locker room and the women didn't feel good about it. So now he's facing an indecent exposure charge because I think he was running around with the boys out. And it's it's crazy to think that that's going on in, in women's locker rooms and that everybody's supposed to, like you're suggesting or like your colleague suggested, look the other way. I'm Everybody's supposed to look the other way because for one person, we all have to bend over backwards. Uh, this is, in my opinion, this is the definition of crazy. Now, I want you to hear earlier, you brought up uh, the ASH, the Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine. And uh, Levine made a uh, comment uh, this week at a Connecticut Children's Hospital saying, excuse me, hormone therapy for trans kids is being supported at the highest levels of the Biden administration. Listen to this. I think that as we look to all the different elections in 2024, um, I think the next two years are going to be challenging. But I am positive and optimistic and hopeful that the wheel will turn after that um, and that uh, this issue won't be as uh, politically and socially such a minefield. Um, In the meantime, I can say that the children that you serve 
the, and the young people that you serve, their families, and you all as their providers have supported the highest levels of the federal government. President Biden supports you, and he has articulated that support for the children and families on a, uh, frequently. I tell you, these things, they, um, they deflate me a little bit. To hear that there's such a focus as if there was an, an epidemic problem in our country of little kids waking up feeling like they're trapped in the wrong body. It seems like we're making this problem happen. I don't think this problem exists. Maybe I've got my head in the sand, Lydia Serrani. Well, first of all, that's a man, baby. I mean, she can call it tomato. T- <laughs> that that's that's a man, and good. For, and I applaud you. I mean, good for. I, I refuse to call it. That's a man, Doctor Levine. Fine, but I will call them by their biological uh, biological sex. And you know what's interesting is after the pandemic, finally that it's over. I know they the Democrats still wish it could continue for a variety of reasons, but they found that. There's a, a sharp, sharp increase in the number of children that decided that they were in the wrong body. And the majority of these kids tend to be girls. They tend to be white girls. And I think we have to look a little deeper into it. Like, what is going on that we think that the, these all these white girls, and what's interesting, too, when they go to these gender-affirming clinics, and I hate even using that word. I, I'll call them mutilation clinics because I think words matter, and I think it's important not to use the words that the Democrats or these radical lefts, whatever you want to call them, that they push upon us, mm-hmm. and we push back and call and call it for what it is. That's why, to me, it's important to call somebody, well, I'm a he. Well, no, you're a she. I'm going yeah. to use the proper the proper word, the terminology. So these kids that are showing up at these mutilation clinics, why are white girls going in? And I think it's almost like they they feel they feel like they're missing out that they also want to be victims. They want to feel like some sort of minority because they're they're striving for attention. And what's right. interesting too is that they're coming in as as groups of girls. There's groups of them. And remember back in the day, you would hear these stories about the pregnancy packs. Yes. Among like teenage girls and they're like, oh, well, we're going to or you even heard. I remember in my day, there was groups of girls that say, oh, we're all going to lose our virginity by this age. And you think back now, like, wow, that's really insane. But imagine how insane it is now. Like oh, you have a group of friends, a group of girls that say, hey, we're going to all turn into guys and we're going to go to this clinic and we're going to say this. And then you hear these other crazy stories where the parents are pushing for for this because they want to get back. At like say an ex, you know, so you have the mother bring in the daughter and then they're coaching the daughter to say you're, say you're a, you feel like you're a boy to get back at the father. So there's all these ulterior motives as to what's really going on and who's suffering. It's the child. You've got the pharmaceutical companies making money. You've got the doctors making a ton of money. You've got Dylan Mulvaney making a ton of money. And and, and you've got the parent that's excited because now the, the father or whomever is being demonized. But who ends up suffering? It's this poor, confused child. Even Elon Musk, he tweeted out, what child hasn't faced some sort of identity crisis? We have to stop this. I personally think I know people say let, let them decide until they're 18. I say at least until 26 because we know that's when the human brain is finally fully developed. I think not until then should you be able to make life-altering decisions. That's, you know that's what's interesting, uh, and, and I, I appreciate that, but uh, it's fascinating to me. I know that um, I think my mom was 28 years old when I was born, and and she had wanted to get a hysterectomy, but wasn't uh, her doctor advised her not to get it until she was a little older. 
So I, I know that I think even today, or at least it used to be, that in order to have a hysterectomy um, or, or or that type of surgery, they wanted you to be at least 25. Uh, I don't know that that's even the standard anymore. I think that, you know, there are some places that they're willing to to do this to 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 girls that are as young as 16, I read once. And I thought, that's crazy. And then I thought, if I were a plastic surgeon, and again, I'm not um, bad-mouthing plastic surgeons, but if I were an unscrupulous plastic surgeon and I thought, all right, so I'm running out of women to do boob jobs on. Who else can I do a boob job on? Aha, I've got a whole new class of people. And while it sounds like a simplistic and yet kind of contrived, you know, Dr. Evil kind of scenario, I think if you look at this industry overall, they've created a, a I'm sure it's a multi-billion dollar cottage industry where they have new customers they never would have had. And that's a scary idea. And again, I hope it only exists in my mind and it doesn't really exist in practice. But it's uh, it's a horrible thing to think that that could actually be the case. It really is because it, it I just can't wrap my brain around the fact that any good doctor would purposely mutilate a healthy person or give them these hormones that we know have devastating side effects. Don't they take an oath? the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. I have a family Hmm. member who has breast cancer and she has to take Lupron and she has to take a shot every single, every single month, once a month. And I explained to her, I said, do you know, they give this to children. They give this and they have to take it for the rest of their lives. And she shuddered. She said, I have to take this for the next 10 years and I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how this is devastating. And then a mutual friend of ours, Rich, I'll tell you when we get off the air, he's suffering from prostate cancer and he also has to take a drug. And when I looked it up, I said to him, you know, this is also what they give to to kids, to guys that Mm want to become girls. And he he's been in he's he said he's suffering more devastating side effects from the monthly injection he has to take than he had to undergo from radiation. So wow. that's what people are not understanding, just how devastating even these hormones. Oh, it's just some puberty blockers. Okay, here you go. And then you hear the stories, Rich, about, oh, well, they just spoke to the doctor for less than an hour, and they get a prescription. And then the kid goes home, and then they're fascinated by the changes that are undergoing in their body, and then they're getting all of this attention, and then the social media. That's a big and that's, that's what I think it is. I think they're missing love. I mean, I know at the end of the day, I think that's... I, you know, you're a dad. I know your daughters are the light of your life. I see the way when you talk mm-hmm. about them. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Like, not to sound corny, because we're talking on the radio, but people, if they see you when you talk about your daughters, it's so beautiful. Your face, like, changes and lights up and you get a little watery in your eyes. It's so, the way you are with your girls, like, it, it, it's so beautiful. I, and I love my daughter. Like, she's my world, my sun, my moon. I don't even know. And I could not even imagine being in a doctor's office and a doctor looking me in the eye and saying, would you rather have a dead a dead son, you know, because she's a girl going to her boy, or would, would you rather have a dead daughter or an alive son, you know? And so that's right. what happens. Parents think they're doing it out of love by allowing this. But what kids really need, I think, that are undergoing this kind of uh, – battle in their minds is a lack of love. They need love. I think they do. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there with Lydia Serrani for another segment. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
All right, America, welcome back. And remember, if you miss any part of the conversations we have here at America at Night, you can catch them on the podcast. Go to the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. You could stream the show live. So if you're listening to one of our hundreds of affiliates, but they only carry hours one, hours two, or maybe not hour three, you could listen to all three hours of the show live, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And you could listen to archived shows, and you could subscribe to the podcast for free. Speaking of podcasts, just recorded a new episode of This Is America, my original podcast, which is now on the Cumulus Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to that as well. That has no guests, all commentary, uh, straight to the point, usually under an hour. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Now, we're coming back to our guest, Lydia Serrani. Lydia Serrani is an Emmy Award-winning TV anchor. You know, we're from Fox Five News, you know her from WABC Radio if you listen to talk radio in New York City, and you know her from Newsmax TV if you're anywhere in this country and you watch Newsmax, you've seen Lydia on television uh, sharing her opinions and hosting different programs on Newsmax. Lydia, tell us what you have in store this weekend on Newsmax TV. Of course, we're going to be talking about this possible Trump indictment. I still can't believe the, the Trump derangement syndrome that so many of our law like. So I'm going to call them lawmakers, but they shouldn't be called lawmakers, um, that they're suffering from the fact that we have such a two-tier justice system. You've got Hunter Biden, where we've now, again, the latest scandal have uncovered $3 million. Uh, Bo's widow, which was Hunter's brother, that she ended up having an affair then with Hunter after he died and this, and then she got 35000 So all this money, all the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, you name it. And yet they're going after President Trump again over some over Stormy Daniels. I just alleged hush money. So, of course, we'll be talking about that. And we're going to be talking to you, Rich Valdez, on Sunday morning. You'll be coming in on Wake Up America. And we'll be talking about that story, of course, as well as this uh, drag queen story hour that the state attorney general, Tish James, along with assembly, state assembly members and city council members, are using our taxpayer dollars to have a three-hour drag, uh, child drag story hour. They even put a little baby on the flyer, Rich Valdez. Like, I just, yeah, you know, I, I don't I, I'm know what to say anymore. It's crazy. And, and, you know, it's funny. I don't even have little kids anymore. My girls are big, uh, 17 and going to be 18 this year and 21 going to be 22 this year. But uh, I can tell you that I still see them little like the kids in these flyers. And I think, my goodness, if this would have happened when I was, you know, a dad at that age, uh, I'd be out of my mind because it bothers me now. But I would feel attacked if it was happening while my kids were still little. Uh, Thankfully, you know, nobody's doing this to them and they can get up and walk away if they don't like it. But for everybody that's like your daughter's age, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. And uh, and again, maybe people think this is hyperbole or that, you know, maybe I need to grow a thicker skin that, you know, if you don't like drag queen story, I would don't bring your kid. The problem is when you look at an invitation like this, right, and this is New York State AG on Twitter or Instagram, and it says drag story hour. With New York State Attorney General Letitia James, families with children are invited to join Attorney General James, drag storytellers and city and state elected leaders. Why do we have to bring our children to the drag story hour? I mean, RuPaul is in a kid's show, right? It's always marketed as an adult show on television. I don't think RuPaul specializes in um, in, in dealing with children. So I can't for the life of me figure out why we're doing this, but this is exactly what's happening. Would you bring your your child to a strip club? 
This has nothing to do with even men, say, dressing up as women, which, by the way, it's it's insulting because they're caricatures of what they think women should be with the exaggerated makeup and the hair. But they're very scantily clad. I don't understand. There's so many heroic people out there, men and women. Have a have a female astronaut. Have a CEO. Have somebody that came to this country with absolutely nothing, and now they have their own business. Have a Rich Valdez right. there. I mean, hey. have have all these people that you can look up to. Why are we looking up to a drag queen? I don't I don't understand. That's what. What is this? Why are they trying to sexualize our children? Because that's where drag queens started. They started in the underground club scene, you know, and mm. it became like a strip club type of thing. So just like. Wouldn't wouldn't a parent be arrested for child endangerment or child abuse if they brought their child to a strip club? Oh, what's wrong? So what's wrong with a half naked person gyrating around? So what's wrong? That's right. be- you know, the body is beautiful. That's what like you'll hear some what's wrong with some genitalia flapping around? Well, that you know, that's that's a strip club. So then why are you why are it's we using our taxpayer dollars? This is understand. how pedophiles groom. Right. This is yes. exactly what yes. they do. Lydia, I could do this with you all day, but my producers in my ear telling me we got to go. So, folks, check out Lydia Serrani and Newsmax TV, NewsmaxTV.com. Uh, if you want to fight against AT&T, check out IWantNewsmax.com and sign their petition there. And I'll be on with Lydia this Sunday morning on Wake Up America with Lydia Serrani and uh, everybody else on Newsmax. So I'm looking forward to that. Twitter. At Lydia News, L I D I A N E W S, and that's and then you can add a one for Instagram. So it's L I D I A N E W S, Lydia News, because who can who can spell Serrani? You can barely, you know. Yeah, I can barely say it half the time. <laughs> Lydia, it's a pleasure, my sister from another Mister. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you. You're the best. All right, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. Eight three three four Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So we're talking about all things, all things. And one of the things I wanted to get to with Lydia Serrani, but, you know, um, we, um, we ran out of time, is this story coming out of California. Gavin Newsom unveils a new $30 million plan to build 1,200 tiny homes for homeless people in expansion of a controversial plan that critics say is a scheme merely to put a Band-Aid on a crisis. California is looking at this $30 million plunge into tiny homes to tackle the state's homelessness epidemic. As you know, we reported here on this program about, uh, I don't know, a week ago that there was... I think it's it. There is half half of the nation's homeless people live in California. That's crazy. Anyway, Newsom, uh, he's coming under fire for the plan because critics are saying, look, this isn't even fixing the problem. You're just spending money to make it look like you're fixing the problem. But it doesn't really help anything putting people in these little homes. So California now um, has a third of the country's entire homeless population and 50 percent of those that do not go uh that have they're called unsheltered homeless half of the unsheltered homeless populations in california so we'll continue that conversation maybe at midnight up next we're going to talk about medicare 
why are the Democrats trying to sunset Medicare and blame it on the Republicans? Robert Moffat comes in to explain. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation tonight, is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And uh, again, uh, there's some news coming out of uh, the Hunter Biden laptop saga. We've got Hunter Biden's now suing the rap, uh, the take two, the laptop repair shop owner. And we've had on this program, John Paul Mac Isaac. So we're going to see if we can get him back to get his response to Hunter suing him over an invasion of privacy. And uh, we also have, let's see here, uh, the White House response to allegations of Biden relatives cashing in on Hunter Biden's ventures in China. I haven't even heard that yet, but I can guarantee that it's probably the same thing that uh, President Biden said back in 2020 when he was debating Donald Trump in October of 2020, where he said, I'm not making any money from China. My son isn't making any money from China. Nobody's making any money from China. Come on, Jack. You know, and it's it's not a joke. I'm serious. You know, those types of things. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was just another categorical den- denial. Uh, we're also going to talk about the banks and uh, we're going to get to the bottom of the banks in a little bit. But I want to talk about Medicaid and, uh, and a little bit how, you know, so many things going on with our budget and our fiscal scenario in Washington. And the, the big deal right now seems to be how. They, they keep saying Republicans are trying to destroy Medicare, but it seems that there's plenty of Democrats that have also jumped on the let's sunset Medicare bandwagon. And that's no joke, Jack. So I want to get with uh, one of the experts out of the Heritage Foundation to get to the bottom of that. Robert Moffat, Ph.D. He's a senior research fellow at Heritage. Sir, welcome. Hi. How you doing, Rich? Super. Super. I'm doing great. It's Friday. And, uh, you know, um, President Biden had his annual Shamrock Festival at the White House oh, yeah. and he's celebrating while people are are, are dealing with the um, the outcomes of of the, the Biden policies. So, you know, things could be better for well, some Americans, but we're here. It is St. Patrick's Day and there's a very, very good reason, especially for the Irish to celebrate. So, you know, after after hundreds of years of uh, promoting, you know, the Christian faith and uh, and surviving famine and religious persecution and British oppression, uh, you know, there's a real, real good reason for the Irish to celebrate. And I joined them in that celebration because who doesn't love celebrating on St. Patty's Day, Robert Moffat? I mean, that's one of right. the best things to do in the year. And you know what? My that's birthday right. is Cinco de Mayo, so I love celebrating Cinco de Mayo, too. That's right. Very, very good. <laughs> That's right. So tell us about uh, what's going on here. 
Yeah. That's right. That's right. Few uh, know that. What's going, yeah. What's going on is that um, President Biden made a very uh, divisive speech in the State of the Union. And um, if anybody remembers, of course, those of you listening to the, this program, I, I'm sure everybody remembers if they watched the State of the Union. Sure. He made a claim that the Republicans wanted to sunset Medicare. And the response of the Republicans uh, in the House and the Senate uh, was outrage, if you'll recall. And a lot of the members uh, mm -hmm. of the Republican Party were saying this is absolutely unfair. Uh, the point that I've made, and I've made it on more than one occasion, is that uh, no Republican uh, member of Congress has any legislation right now that would sunset Medicare. It is absolute nonsense, and the president knows it. But uh, the point that I have made uh, in, the, in, 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 in articles and so on is that in Washington, the obvious is often overlooked. Last year, more than half, 122 members of the Democratic caucus sponsored H.R. 1976. It's the Medicare for All Act, which would abolish Medicare. And um, most of these politicians don't advertise the fact that they're abolishing Medicare, but that's exactly what the law does. The law would basically abolish not only Medicare, but all private health insurance, Private health insurance would be outlawed. Employer-based health insurance would be outlawed. And under Section 901 of their bill, the bill would abolish Medicare as well as Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program, TRICARE, which is the military program, right. and the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program, which covers 8 million federal employees and their families. And... The, the way the bill is written is that on January 1st of the first year after the bill would be enacted, all of those programs would disappear and the funding for those programs would be transferred into a new federal government trust fund for a new national health insurance program, which is not Medicare. It's a different program altogether. And the other point that I wanted to make is that today, if you're talking about Medicare, and you're going to abolish Medicare as we know it, that means that you're also going to be abolishing Medicare Advantage, which are the system of private plans, which cover almost half of the senior population in the United States, and which are, are, are dramatically popular uh, with uh, Americans over the age of 65. Right now, it's about 46% of the entire Medicare population is covered by private health insurance, but the national health insurance plan that half of the Democrats, more than half of the Democrats in the House of Representatives uh, have sponsored would abolish all of that. So, I mean, I think there's a lot missing here, especially with regard to the press, that it seems to overlook the obvious. In this case, the real threat to Medicare is half of the Democratic caucus in the House of Representatives who actually have legislation in black and white that anybody listening to this program can read for themselves, which actually abolishes Medicare. 
And of course, you're talking about uh, House Resolution 1976, H.R. 1976, which is dubbed the Medicare for All Act, where it's been co-sponsored by Senator Pramila Jayapal from Washington and more than half of all House Democrats who uh, have joined her in co-sponsoring that. So this is um, Medicare for All, which you're saying would become Medicare for None and would become, in effect, a a new socialized medicine program being run by the United States government. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, it's not what I say. It's what they say. (laughs) I'm not saying anything here. I'm reporting the facts. And if anybody wants to disagree with this, all they have to do is get a copy of the bill and they read section, Section 901 of the bill. It's Section 901, and it says two years after the enactment of the legislation, the bill would abolish Medicare and all the other programs, not only private health insurance, but all the other government programs. By the way, it would even abolish Obamacare. (laughs) It's a fundamental fact. Uh, But, you know, I I think what's happening is that, you know, in the case of President Biden and some of his handlers – they have this idea that you can scare the hell out of old people by talking about how the Republicans are going to abolish Medicare, and it's worked in the past. I mean, I remember when uh, they had this horrifying uh, advertisement in 2012 where they had a guy that looked like uh, uh, then-House Speaker Paul Ryan pushing an old person in a wheelchair off a cliff. Uh, you know, this, <laughs> this, of course, is so pathetically stupid if anybody actually believes that. That, but nevertheless, it's play. It's been good politics, and uh, you know, basically, it's an old playbook. And I guess uh, Biden has decided that he wants to run that playbook. Folks, we're on with Robert Moffat, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, discussing how Medicare's are secretly behind the scenes or right in front of your face, if you will, uh, conspiring to replace Medicare with Medicare for none. And they're calling it Medicare for all. We're going to continue our conversation with Robert Moffat straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-482-5337. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Robert Moffat, Ph.D. He's a senior research fellow for the Center for Health and Welfare Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Robert Moffat, uh, let's talk a little bit about how Congress can help open up America's health care markets as we're discussing um, what we just uh, talked about with the elimination, the potential elimination of Medicare. Well, there's a lot to be done. I mean, our health care system has a lot of a lot of strength. Uh, there's no question about it. We are the world center for healthcare innovation in medical technology. We are the leaders of the of the world uh, in medical science uh, and uh, and technology. We produce more Nobel Prize winners uh, than any other country uh, on the face of the earth. Uh, so nobody on the planet is better than us at that kind of thing. Where we have problems is in the area of healthcare financing. And the financing is profoundly inefficient in many ways. And one of the main reasons why that is true is that we have a system, uh, which is almost 20% of the economy, 
uh, in which ordinary individuals exercise virtually little or no personal economic power. Um, in other words, just think about the insurance market for a moment, right? Um, everybody listening to this program tonight will know that, you know, they have no control of, over, for the most part, uh, what kind of health plan they have, what kind of benefits or procedures they'll get in that health care plan, what they will pay in premiums or deductibles or co-payments. Uh, all of these key decisions are made by other people, uh, either by corporate executives uh, of, for the company they work for, uh, corporate managed care executives, or government officials, either at the state or the federal level. So we, we have a situation where individuals are not empowered to actually actually control the dollars in the system. So what we need to do, and you know, I'm talking broadly now, and this is a big, big, of course, big, big, heavy lift. But what we need to do broadly is we need to transfer the economic power in the system back to individuals and families where they control both the dollars and the decisions. How can that be done? Well, we have to establish competition in the system where it doesn't exist today. We have a, a hospital market, which according to the Federal Trade Commission, 90% uh, of the hospital markets in the United States are highly concentrated, meaning that there are a relatively small number of hospitals that dominate uh, large geographical areas. And uh, basically, you know, there's just not very much competition. Well, when you do not have competition, you don't have the kind of cost control that you would have in a competitive market. Uh, it, without competition, there's no choice. Without uh, consumer choice, there's no competition. That means that prices are higher than they normally would be. And it also means, based on the data, that the quality of care is less than it would otherwise be. That's not my opinion. That's what the professional literature says. Uh, there was a wonderful article on this uh, back in, uh, oh, I think, 2021 in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, where uh, the, the researchers found that the more competitive mar the market, not only the lower the cost, but also the higher the quality of the care being delivered to patients. So what, what should we do? One thing I think what we can do is that we can establish price transparency in the system. You should not be in a system where you haven't got a clue about what things cost. You should know the cost of a medical treatment or procedure, especially in a hospital, before you actually go there. I'm not talking about emergency care here. I'm talking about shoppable services like hip replacements, knee replacements, uh, vaginal deliveries, hysterectomies, all of these things, you can make rational economic calculations. And what we know from the data is you can have hospitals that are within five miles of each other, and you will have radically different uh, prices for the same procedure. So that's one thing we ought to do, price transparency, letting people know beforehand what the cost of medical services uh, are, are going to be. A second thing is that we, we have Medicare itself, which we've just talked about, which is such a huge player uh, in the healthcare market. It's the largest player and it influences everything in the private market as well. Well, one thing that we could do that would make a big difference is to establish neutrality in Medicare payment. Right now, if you get medical services rich in a, mm -hmm. in a hospital, Medicare will pay the hospital more for that medical service than if you got it in a doctor's office or a clinic or a, wow. you know, a private medical practice. 
well, what if you decide, what if Congress decided to say, look, <laughs> we're not going to play that game anymore. Um, you know, hospital lobbies, shut up. What we're going to do is we're going to pay the same for a medical procedure. If it's delivered in a hospital setting or if it's delivered in a doctor's office or a, you know, or a, or a, a group practice or a clinic. Well, what that would do is level the playing field between these giant hospital corporations and private medical practice. There would be a tremendous spillover effect if you did that. Uh, and site neutrality, Medicare payment, paying the same, regardless of where the medical service or the procedure or the benefit is delivered, would have a profound ripple effect throughout the entire healthcare economy. The Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association did a study on this, and they said that it would save about $417 billion over a period of 10 years, not only for, you know, Medicare, not only for taxpayers in Medicare, but also for people in private health insurance whose premiums would be lower and whose out-of-pocket costs would be lower. So that's a second thing that Congress could do. And another thing, one more mm -hmm. thing, the Affordable Care Act, you know, basically attempted to overhaul the entire health care system. Now, there's no question it increased dramatically the number of people who were covered by insurance. But over more than eight out of 10 people covered uh, under the Affordable Care Act were covered by a welfare program, which we call Medicaid. Uh, private health insurance, in fact, actually shrunk in, in many respects. The private health insurance markets are actually less competitive today than they were before Obamacare was passed back in 2010. Anyway, one of the things that that law did is it said that Medicare and Medicaid can no longer pay private physician-owned specialty hospitals like orthopedic hospitals uh, or cardiac hospitals uh, you know, or cancer centers and so on. So in effect, what they did is they knocked out a really potentially powerful competitor to these large hospital corporations by denying the capacity of physician-owned hospitals to compete. That should be changed. It's not only bad policy, mm -hmm. it is stupid. Because what we know <laughs> from the data is that high, highly specialized medical uh, facilities, in other words, you know, the more you do something, the better you right. get at it, improves, improves the quality of care in, uh, over time. Sure. And this is not a debate, Rich. Right. It makes this a lot of sense. And, no, and, you know, what's interesting, what it, it, it also, just to add to that, it sounds like uh, if we enhance competition, just like any other free market principle, and kind of eliminate some of the federal policy and, and uh, the regulation, voila, we have a better system. Robert Moffat, I want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Rick, it's been a pleasure. Let's get together again. Yes, let's do it again soon. Happy St. Paddy's Day. And uh, up next, Dennis Neal, former Wall Street Journal writer. He's going to join us to talk about banks. What's going on with these banks? More to come straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you've missed any portion of tonight's program, you can always go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. And uh, you could listen to all of the interviews, past interviews. You could subscribe to the podcast. You could listen live from anywhere as long as you uh, go to that website and check it out. Anyway, I want to talk about banks, the banking, um, I guess we're going to, can we call it a banking crisis? Is it really a crisis just yet? I don't know yet uh, if this is just a little bit of mismanagement by one or two banks. But President Biden, he says that our banking system is secure. Listen to this. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and a team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. All right. So Secretary Yellen, she says, listen, the banking system is sound. We have new resources that we've ordered. We're taking care of everything. Uh, not all uninsured deposits are going to be protected in the future, but that's the case right now. The White House says this isn't a bailout. Everyone else says it is, but it's different from 2008. And I'm saying there's a lot going on here. So I want to get somebody who knows exactly what's going on, my buddy Dennis Neal. Now, you guys know Dennis Neal. Uh, you may have read him in the Wall Street Journal. He was a writer and editor there. He's also uh, been on CNBC, and he was a managing editor at Forbes. Uh, he's also the host of the podcast, What's Bugging Me? And you can get that on Apple Podcasts. Dennis, Neil, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much, Rich. It's great to talk to you. What's Bugging Me also is on Ricochet. It'll change your life. I'm so happy to talk to you, Rich. And you know, here's the thing. I'm dying to be entertaining to you. You've got this national audience. You came on What's Bugging Me recently. You were so much fun and so Thank interesting. You. And I want to you know, preach right now. We're in trouble. You're, you're in danger, Molly. But I got to tell you guys, the banking system is safe. It's super strong. And what we saw happen at Silicon Valley Bank is nothing like 2008, 2009. We're going to be okay. Now, I tend to be an optimist anyway, but there's very reasons why this is, this is true. We're okay. And there's a lot that went on here. But right now, all the feds and Senator Warren they're getting ready to look at Silicon Valley Bank and look at these guys and say, what did you do wrong? And a lot of what they did wrong has to do with the Fed and the federal policies to begin with. All right. Well, so it seems like you're in agreement with with Biden and Yellen. And um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> oh, that was cruel. That's security. Right there. <laughs> Somebody call security. Get this guy an ambulance. It just took a beating. Now, listen, hey, Yellen, uh, I got to tell you something. I was really worried, Rich, uh -huh. that Yellen would blow this because She's an academic and she's a fed head. She was not a business person who knows about business. And no kidding. In the, the 0809 meltdown, we were very lucky. 
in the Obama era. As Obama's ending, about to hand over the baton to Bush, uh, you know, it turned out we're lucky that the former Goldman Sachs CEO, Hank Paulson, I met this guy a few times, and he was Treasury Secretary. And because he was a Wall Street guy, he knew what to do. This time, Yellen, I was afraid she didn't know what to do, but they did the right thing, Rich. They came out and they said, um, we're going to guarantee if you put cash into this top 20 bank, man, we're going to guarantee that. Don't be worrying about it. Don't be pulling that out. That was the right thing to do. That helped ease the crisis. And Rich, it's not a bailout of the bank at all. Do you know why? Tell us. In 08, 09, remember, I was in a front seat Front row seat at, at, at uh, CNBC. I just left Forbes, the managing editor. I want to be a big TV star. I'm at, at, at uh, CNBC, and it starts to melt down. It's truly afraid. But then we did. I think it was $864 billion TARP program out to all these big banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. And we were thereby stabilizing those banks, stabilizing the system, and helping their shareholders and that was a bailout. Now, cut to right now. So Silicon Valley Bank on a Wednesday night after hours, six minutes after trading closes at four o'clock New York time, Silicon Valley Bank comes out and says, hey, you know what? We're like doing four stock deals to raise $2 billion. It's a first paragraph, Rich, of the press release. It's 250 words and seven sentences. That's a bad first paragraph of a press release. And then it says in the <laughs> second paragraph, oh, by the way, <laughs> we lost like almost $2 billion on selling $21 billion in safe government bonds. But anyway, uh, Goldman's going to handle the stock offering. So the stock dropped 60% overnight. Today, to this day, we know that the FDIC and Fed seized the bank. They have grabbed its assets. They've moved it into a new entity called Santa Clara, not even called Silicon Valley, and they are ready to chop it up into pieces. The shareholders who are in that stock, $300 in February, $700 a share last November, today $100. They have not been bailed out. The bank has not been bailed out. Instead, they're ready to chop that sucker up. There is a bailout, yes, of depositors who did nothing worse, Rich, than put in cash. And right. And this is the FDIC bank. Um, coverage that right. we're talking about. Now, usually that that guarantee only applies to 250,000. But if I put in 20 million and I'm a startup or I'm a venture fund with four startups, five startups, I put in 20 million. It's not like I was betting it on Bitcoin or on on Dogecoin. I put it in there and they and then they were putting it into government securities. And by the way, Rich, after that 09 meltdown, one of the reforms we passed in Dodd-Frank was Banks have to put their money in, quote, high-quality reserves like government bonds. This company, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, lost money, $2 billion, betting on government bonds, safe investments. Why did they lose? Because the government bonds are going belly up? So here's what – no, not at all. Because government will never go belly up because the government of the U.S. has the right to print money so that they never have to go default, right? It's just that your dollars will be worth less. Instead, what happened was – so they've got two kinds of, of, of uh, accounting they're allowed to do when they own all these bonds. Now, one kind is called ready, ready for sale, meaning if it goes up or down in a given day, we got to like account for that price right that day because we could sell that at any moment. But then there's this other big chunk called um, hold to maturity. And if I have a bond 
that pays only 1% a year for 10 years, right? And I'm holding that sucker. And at the end of 10 years, I've gotten 1.7 a year, and then I get the whole money back, right? But here's the thing. If I need the cash right away in year two, and yet now 10-year bonds, new ones are, are paying 5% instead of 1.5%, my new bond sucks. It's worth a lot less. And if I'm going to sell it today instead of hold it to maturity, hold it for 10 years, i got to sell it at a loss. So what Silicon Valley Bank said is, wow, man, we got all these people coming here demanding cash now. It's like – it's a wonderful life, right? Where Jimmy Stewart says, your, hmm. your money's not here. Your, your money's over here in this guy's house. And it's over here in this guy's house. And, and so they had to sell these bonds now to get cash because there's a run on a bank started. And that's when they sold them at a loss. But had they held them all along, they never would have had to have the loss if the customers had been supportive and faithful to the bank and left their money there. Instead, they got scared and they tried to pull out $42 billion in a single day on Thursday after that botched press release on Wednesday night. And, and, and a, a true bank, bank run happened in the social media age caused by Twitter because of billionaires. Okay. Let's say I buy what you and Yellen and Biden are selling. And I and I <laughs> How go, dare you? <laughs> let's say I buy that, and uh, then I say, well, then what's going on with First Republic? Because now a, a third bank is now lost a third yeah. of its of its price on on the market there, right. and uh, it, their debt has been yeah. cut down to junk by Moody. So I want to get into that, but you got to take a okay. quick pause. Let's give everybody the phone number eight three three the number four Valdez eight three three four eight two five three three seven. If you have a question for Dennis Neal, you guys know Dennis Neal. You've seen him on CNBC. You've read him in Forbes and in the Wall Street Journal. You've heard him on this program. You've seen him on television. Uh, give us a call eight three three four eight two five three three seven. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're talking about the banking blunder is what I'm going to call it. And again, on this program on Monday, uh, I think you can recall me saying, look, I don't know that this is an implosion of every single bank. It's not a controlled demolition of our economy. The only controlled demolition of our economy that's going on is the recession that's being triggered by these interest rate hikes that they're trying to use to stabilize inflation. And I don't think that brings down the economy entirely. I think it's, uh, it's just exactly what it is. It's a recession. However, um, a lot of people are speculating that these banks are, you know, one by one, they're getting picked off and it, we're going to end up in financial ruin and hurry up and go buy some gold and some silver because that's all you're going to have and you're going to barter with your neighbor. And I'm hearing everything. And I said, not so fast. I don't think that's the case. If I'm wrong, you'll know. But Dennis Neal is here, and you know him from CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and so many other wonderful uh, publications like Forbes. And he's saying the same thing that uh, Yellen and Biden are saying. And in fact, I was saying it on Monday. I don't think that the banking system is is done. I think, you know, investments are going to go up and down. But this seemed to be 
um, somewhat isolated. However, now we've got First Republic Bank where their slares of shares have slid almost 33% after getting how much? I think $30 billion in a, a rescue package. So, Dennis Neal, what's going on with First Republic? Well, that's stanching the bleeding. I'm happy to see it for a couple of reasons. And understanding Rich, Rich, Richie V and Inzin and S that I, I, I choose to be an optimist. I choose to, to light a candle rather than curse the darkness. So here's a couple good things to look at. First of all, it was private banks, J.P. Morgan, Citi, uh, uh, Bank of America, and others, big ones, stepping up, not government taxpayer dollars, private banks stepping up big guys, too big to fail, and saying, we're going to chip in and give you some money to tide you over. This is a false crisis created, Rich, by the very Fed factor that you were just referring to. Let's understand that for eight years, the Fed went with zero interest rates. And then it said about like a quarter point. And then last year, in a very short period of a few months, six or nine months, they raised rates four, five, six times. Usually you only raise rates a quarter of a percentage point. They did three quarters, four times in a row. They, it, it was a clear sign. When you do a hockey stick raise like that, it's a sign that you're late to that party. You should have raised earlier. You didn't do it. You're trying to catch up. They do all of that. And then these regional banks that were told you put your money into higher quality reserves like government bonds. This Silicon Valley bank put, you know, 20 some 25, 23 billion dollars into long term bonds at 1.5 percent. Suddenly the Fed, because of those rate hockey stick rate increases, is paying four or five percent. Those other bonds now are worth less than half as much. If you hold them for 10 years, you don't take a loss. If you need the cash today, you sell it underwater, you take a loss. That happened there. And we have across the banking system, the banking system has maybe 18 to $20 trillion in total assets. We have, you know, 650 billion. So that's what it's 65 cents on a dollar, maybe, or 65 cents on $10 somewhere. You guys will figure out the decimal point for me. The point is, it's not going to crater the system. It doesn't have to if we don't want it to. But Rich, it's confidence. And as soon as Silicon Valley Bank, that's the weird thing, Rich, is that you got to realize, right, like, thousands of, of, of VC firms, startups, startup executives, tech executives, some of the most risk-taking, you know, swashbuckling guys in the entire U.S. economy, Silicon Valley Bank. And then suddenly – People start saying, I'm worried about them. And they like want to suck out $42 billion in a day. You bunch of cowards, what happened to your loyalty? So they got scared. So what happened with First Republic and the bailout, $30 billion rescue? And yeah, let the stock fall 33%. Okay, people are deciding to sell. That's fine. There are other people who are deciding to buy. And um, if you bought some of those banks back in 09, oh my gosh, they went up so much. So I'm not worried about this, Rich. I don't think we have to be. And yes, there are plenty of things to be upset about. Was Silicon Valley Bank way too woke? Oh, yeah, way too woke. Embarrassingly so. Although Fox News, New York Post, other places reported based on the Claremont Institute that, oh, my God, they gave $73 million to Black Lives Matter. Hmm. Then came out Vanity Fair. They said, no, no, they didn't. They gave $73 million to various groups 
that support some stuff that might match with the agenda of Black Lives Matter. But either way, Rich, that's not why they screwed up. It's because people who are in charge of managing risk failed. And I had two different guys tell me, Rich, and I'll stop out. I'm sorry to filibuster. I apologize. I had a guy tell me, hey, man. Uh, oh, in fact, it's on my the new episode of What's Bugging Me. Jim Iorio he was on, on CNBC for years, okay? He trades these options every day. And on Tuesday, he traded half a trillion dollars notional value and options. Now, 95% of those never get exercised. So it's not really trading half a trillion, but it's trading pieces of paper that were bets for a total of half a trillion dollars going after all this bank stuff, okay? And he says, why didn't Silicon Valley Bank call me? We could have done a 10-year put spread where we offset the risk of loss in that big, big fund you had where they just sold $21 billion in bonds. They took a $1.8 billion loss. It's less than 1% of total assets, but it was enough to cause a 60% decline in the stock of the company that led to this fear and this run that didn't have to happen, Rich Valdez. Mm-hmm. Hang on, Dennis Neal. We're going to come right back to you. I got to take this quick pause. We're talking about banks and this $30 billion rescue of First Republic Bank. Are we going to see more banks? I don't know. We'll find out. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dennis Neal, the eternal optimist of Wall Street, saying that nothing to fear here. Don't look this way. Look away. There's nothing to see here. Just because First Republic Bank got $30 billion from 11 of their colleague banks, um, this is not a federal bailout. This is just them trying to stop the bleeding. This is the fallout from the SVB disaster along with um, uh, Signature. Did I get that right, Dennis Neal? Ba- that's basically it. That, that's very well summarized, my friend. Very well summarized. Well, let me ask you something here. Do you? I mean, because here's the thing. This is not $30 billion of taxpayer money right. going into First Republic Bank to – to make sure that it's safe, okay? This is $30 billion of money from, from big banks. And, you know, I was looking at Jamie Dimon. I was writing something for somebody the other day because I got clients that I do some writing for. And Jamie Dimon has this shareholder letter, Rich Valdez, with an S, that uh, came out in April of last year. And it says, you know what? In the last XX years, I forget, maybe it's five years or seven years or something, we mm-hmm. our capital that we're required to keep on hand in our bank, us and all those big banks, is up. 300, 400%. But the amount of money we put out into business to loan yeah. it is only up 40, 50%. 50%. So, Dennis Neal, listen to this. Uh, everybody wants to know how they can hear more about what you're talking about. How can they listen to your show, What's Bugging Me? What do they do? So, um, What's Bugging Me is on Spotify, Apple, Google, Ricochet. Also, if you'll go to YouTube, uh, subscribe to the Ricochet Network, and you can see that I have a face made for radio. And also, I've been doing some <laughs> tweets, some Twitter spaces, man, and we talk about All this right. stuff. And I'm talking Looking to guys, man, forward to it. Dollars. Dennis Neal, we've got to have you back on soon. 
Uh, more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America's coming up. 833-482-5337-8334 Valdez. Get ready. It's Open Phone America. Thank you, Dennis Neal. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I welcome you to join our national conversation, this late night town hall right across America. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is our phone number. If you want to join the combo, please do. Of course, our legacy line is always open. 866-505-4626. And I want to uh, go over a few headlines. Now, during this last break, right, between hour number two and hour number three, I go through this little rundown with our producer who, you know, gives me uh, the scoop on a few articles that uh, he's dug up and we, we've talked about. And let me tell you, the stories today, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. First one here is Mexico. Yeah, no, the country of Mexico They're saying that the fentanyl crisis in the United States is caused by a lack of hugs, a lack of love, according to the president of Mexico, because uh, Mexican president Manuel Lopez Obrador says that it's the lack of love and the lack of family values in the United States that are actually driving the drug problem. Now, whether or not that's true is beside the point, in my opinion. I think the fact that he's just saying that we don't hug our people enough is why they're drug addicts. This could be some sort of, um, I don't know, um, epiphany. Uh, Or it could just be more of the stupidity he's been talking about, like saying, hey, Mexico's, uh, you know, safer than the U.S. Come on, bro. (laughs) What are you thinking? I think he's out of his mind. But another one of the stories that we talked about is that now in New Mexico, they're looking for professional bear huggers. Now, listen, these are not people that give bear hugs. These are people to hug bears. Yeah, this is interesting. So the New Mexico bear huggers conservation officer uh, job is available. And uh, the description, and I haven't opened it yet, but from what I remember from our conversation, is that you have to be willing to trust your coworkers to keep you safe while traveling rocky terrain, which could be in and of itself dangerous, and travel into the den where a bear cub may be, hoping that you make it out in one piece. <laughs> and they want you to hug these little bear cubs. It's part of an experiment they're doing. I'm guessing they're trying to figure out if you hug these bear cubs enough, maybe they won't get hooked on Mexico. Mexican fentanyl. I don't know. But that seems to be what's going on. Now, speaking of fentanyl, this guy's actually drunk. He's not high. This is a murder suspect that drunkenly returned to the scene to help police. Now, this is interesting to me. It really is. This guy, <clears throat> this is according to Fox 11 News in Los Angeles. He, uh, he's an English guy. This happened in England. He went back 
to the crime scene after murdering a father of two. And now he's been sentenced to life in prison. The murder investigation was launched by the Essex police last July, last July, excuse me, after 44 year old Adrian Ellingford was seriously assaulted at a residence in Chelmsford, England. Mr. Ellingford died as a result of multiple stab wounds. According to police, Marek Hako, 26 years old, approached the murder scene while heavily intoxicated, carrying a bottle of brandy. He began telling the officers that he knew what happened and that he could help. So I'm thinking, just imagine the cops are there, a dead body, there's a sheet over it, they've got the yellow tape, they take the chalk outline, they're drawing it around the person, and all of a sudden in comes this guy hiccuping along the way with his brown bag and his brandy in it, saying, oh, you know, I know exactly what happened here, let me help you out. Oh, what do you you think happened? Well, you see, I'm I'm not going to say how I know, but I think perhaps maybe this guy grabbed that guy, they got into a little bit of scuffle, it broke out into fisticuffs, and he grabbed out his knife and he stabs him a couple of three times and you know this guy goes over there he drags the body over not to get in trouble and disappears it's what i it's, it's what i fancy and they go well, how do you know that sir and he's like, well i can't really tell you that now can i mate and 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 i think this is how that went i don't have audio for this so i have to kind of make it up but there is legitimately police body cam footage of where this happened and this guy's there drinking a bottle of of looks like enj brandy uh, a big bottle and he's there wearing a checkered T-shirt, and he's, you know, uh, a young guy, looks athletic build, white guy, short haircut. And uh, there he is. I'll put this on Twitter so you guys could see it, at Rich Valdez with an S. But absolutely crazy that you would go after you do that. It's like that guy who Googled, how do I bury my wife and make the body disappear? Anyway, after becoming confrontational with the officer, he was arrested on suspicion of murder. And while in custody, he was identified as the main suspect. So there you go. Um, in Spanish, we have a word for guys like this. We call this ependejo. That's definitely what this guy is. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts on this and everything else. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Brody in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Brody, what's up? What say you? Hey, how you doing, Rich? I just want to tell you that I listen to you almost every night, and you do a great job of filling the shoes of the late, great Jim Bohannon. We Amen. Dearly. Thank you. It's it's quite a compliment. It's very kind of you. Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to talk. I wanted to ask your 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 guest, uh, Dennis Neal. Um, you know, uh, the Silicon Valley branch of the bank over in the UK was bought out by the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, which is a British company. And I just wanted to know: is there a possibility of like? You know, whenever like a major like company goes out, not a bank, million, multi-million dollar bank, but, you know, there's people, there's like investors that, that retool it and buy it out. Like Goldman Sachs bought, you know, Silicon Valley's, um, you know, loans and stuff. I just wanted yep. to know, is there a chance that the Silicon Valley bank would be bought out? Because there's some rumors that uh, Elon Musk might purchase. And I don't, you know, I just hate to see, you know, these banks closing because, you know, I'm a patriot and I just not, not happy at all with what's going on with our, our country. I'm very proud to be an American. And I'm just wondering if you heard of, of anything because they, they were saved in the UK by that company, the Hong, Hong Kong Shanghai banking corporation. And I'm just wondering is, is uh, Silicon Valley, are people, other big banks afraid to touch it because of the, you know, the, the losses, or is it like they could purchase it for a decent yeah. price? 
Yeah, I think it's an excellent question. I, I, one I don't have the answer to, and Dennis Neal isn't here to surmise on it either. But what I can say is that they're still looking for a buyer. I know for the last uh, four or five days that they've been looking for a buyer. And uh, I think it's all of the above. Honestly, I think that you're you're seeing a lot of people say um, the, the bank wasn't run right. The, the bank was way too involved in social activism as opposed to doing what it was supposed to do in terms of being a bank. So it seems like um, big banks are saying, you know, we're, we're not going to be involved because of they don't want to do exactly what you mentioned about how, you know, people were buying banks back in uh back in 08 after you know those those funds and whatnot went fell by the wayside so i think it's a great question and i'm wondering who's going to do it uh, i'm sure if the banks that stepped up to bail out uh first republic those 11 banks that consortium of banks uh, if they had any interest in this they would go for it and it seems that they're not so what dennis neal mentioned was that they've divvied this up the fdic have divvied this up so that other people could buy smaller portions uh, of the bank, but uh, I think like buying out the bank outright doesn't seem to to be something that's going to happen, or at least it's not happening just yet. So we'll keep an eye on that. And excellent question. Thanks for the compliment and for the call, by the way. I know that when there's basketball on, a lot of people uh, tend to forget to call America at night. So don't take it personal. Not at all. Not in the least. Anyway, thanks for your call. I appreciate it, brother. And there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-482-5337-833. The number four, Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, and you heard the number. It's 833-4-VALDES. 833-482-5337. The music means it's St. Patrick's Day. And my first tweet today, at Rich Valdez with an S on Twitter and all the other social media as well, was a tweet, uh, a retweet of an image of Mayor Lori Lightfoot dressed in her traditional Irish garb as the Grand Marshaller participant of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Chicago. And man, that was such a great picture. I hope you get a chance to uh, take a look at it. I uh, I was able to get not one, not two, but maybe three really good laughs at it. Out of it, it was it was just really fun to to look at. And uh, Lori Lightfoot is not uh, out of the out of the spotlight just yet. Even though she's lost her election, she's not getting reelected, she will be done. Uh, she's gotten into a little bit of a back and forth with the media, and she's known for this. She gets into it quite often. Uh, but she's a now the lame duck Chicago mayor, and she got into a tongue lashing with uh, a raucous city council meeting yesterday, or uh, I should say on Wednesday night, with a longtime critic telling her, to get the hell out of the city. Now, this built up. There was a little bit of momentum that built up there. But uh, journalist William Kelly, a frequent um, critic and adversary of Lightfoot's, uh, berated the outgoing mayor for her botched leadership, including her response to the COVID-19 pandemic during the public comment portion of the meeting. And we have a clip of that. We have two clips of it. Listen to the first one here. Check this out. 
I should be sitting over there with my colleagues, but I'm, I'm standing over here because on a weekly basis, I was going viral asking you obvious questions. And instead of answering them, you told me that crime was down, my videos went viral, multi millions of views, comments, likes, and shares, and it was hurting your re-election campaign. So you revoked my media credential. That should never happen in a free country. And I'm asking the city council to take the media credential process away from the, from the next mayor of Chicago and the next superintendent of police and put it in the hands of the, the Constitution. Uh, amen to that. I think I like the way that sounds. But William Kelly, a Chicago reporter, he wasn't done when saying to um, Mayor Lightfoot that future historians will have a hard time understanding how you even became mayor in the first place. Get the hell out of my city. Listen to this. What you've done to the city of Chicago, I feel like this is more of a victim impact statement than an actual public comment. <laughs> what you've done to me is nothing compared to what you've done to my city, the city of Chicago, the city that I was born and raised in, the city that I love with all my heart. You became mayor. The people of Chicago elected you. You shut down our schools. You shut down the churches. You shut down the businesses. You did the one thing that I thought could never happen. As somebody who, who was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, I never thought in my life that I would ever see the city of Chicago brought down so low as you have managed to bring it down. Shame on you. That is a legacy that you are going to have to carry. Future historians are going to have a, a hard time understanding how you, are, how you ever even became mayor of the city of Chicago. I intend to write that book. I intend to make sure that at least uh, there is some possible way for the city of Chicago to, to move forward. I hope that you realize what damage you have done to the city. I hope that after today's city council meeting, you will pack your suitcase and get the hell out of my city. Mr. Kelly, Mr. You are a pandemic. You are a pandemic. <laughs> I think that's better than get out of my city, get the hell out of my city. You are a pandemic to the city, Mayor Lightfoot. Again, that's journalist William Kelly, who's uh, been at odds with uh, Mayor Lightfoot. And I would say that he represents a lot of people, right? I think he represents a, a lot of, uh, of Chicagoans and, and mainly, I would say, Americans feel the same way about what's happening in the White House. When he was saying things like, you know, you just ignored me, you took my credentials away, you, you'd uh, overshadow us, that type of thing. We just heard audio of reporters saying that in the White House just yesterday. Telling Karine Jean-Pierre, you just talk over us, you shout us down, you don't call on us. Um, it's the same thing. This is how they do it because they're, what they're doing is indefensible. No matter what party you are, if you're doing things that are indefensible, people should be calling you out. That is the role of the media. And again, I don't know if this guy's a Democrat or Republican or an independent, but calling out Mayor Lightfoot for doing bad things against the city, the city that he knows and loves and lived in his whole life is a good thing. 
You should be calling out the bad guys, irrespective of where or who they are. And uh, kudos to him. Now, this is, um, again, William Kelly. He runs a TV production and event company called Rev Digital. It's been, uh, he and his company, they've been very critical of uh, Lightfoot the entire time she's been there. And, you know, uh, I think he, he really hit the nail on the head with a lot of what he had to say. So just wanted to leave that there with you. I also want to get to your calls. Let's do that quickly as well. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number taking your thoughts on everything that's going on tonight that we've discussed on the radio or anything else you want to add to the conversation. This is your chance to be heard on America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's go to Al in Kalispell, Montana on KOFI. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Rich. Uh, thanks for letting me be on the show. Um, Thank you for calling, sorry, brother. i got to clear my throat here. I apologize. Hasn't anybody put together that J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, were the banks bailed out by Obama, and now they're yeah, lending the something? money to Silicon Valley Bank? Isn't that kind of strange? Yeah, one, well, at least all I could think of is if if that's the case, right, where, um, you know, you've got Obama or Biden or Obama-Biden or O-Biden, as some people say, uh, calling these guys saying, hey, listen, remember when we bailed you out back in 08? Well, we can't do that again. So you guys are going to bail out these guys, and we're not going to do it because we can't deal with the public outlash that's going to happen here, uh, backlash. And, uh, you know, who knows if that's the case. But thankfully, it wasn't uh, a bunch of taxpayer dollars from right now. It could potentially have been the taxpayer dollars from 08. I don't know. Uh, as far as I heard, they paid those back. But, yeah, interesting point. Um, we have to, I, I believe, we have to get out of the practice of bailing out banks. There are still people that I'm going to say are probably smarter than me that think, you know, if, if you fail, you fail. I don't think anybody's too big to fail. I think that's just how it works in life, especially when you're in a job like the one I have or like other people have where if you don't get the job done, you can't stick around. I think a lot of people are in situations like that in real life. But yet it seems in the banking business, you can find a reprieve. Now, I don't know if I'm being unfair to them or not, but at least that, that's how I feel, Al. Okay. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I just, I think it's a little fishy. Um you know, and, could be. You know, stranger uh, point, things have happened. You know, one point on um, Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, oh yeah, you don't pay for the repair. You know, you don't pick up your car at the garage. You don't pay for the new transmission. You know what? The garage owns it. They can do whatever they want. Yep, and I think that's exactly the route he took. And we had him on the show, John Paul Mac Isaac, the. Um, the owner of, I think it's called the Fix-It Shop uh, in, in Delaware there. And uh, that's exactly what he said, that it was abandoned property and he turned it over to the FBI. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to try and get him back on the show to discuss. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere if you're on hold. Stick around. We're going to get to you momentarily. It's America at Night. Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Give us a call. Valdez. That's 
5337-833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I want to continue with your calls. Open phone, America, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Of course, the legacy line is always open if you want to weigh in on our late-night national town hall. Feel free to do so, 866-505-4626. Let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, great to talk to you. I love that clip that you played of that uh, journalist, William Kelly, telling off Mayor, yeah. ex-Mayor Lightfoot. And I'm going to tell you, I think when you live in a city or a Democratic part of the country, it gives you the guts just pull no punches and say it like it is. Where I live, it's pretty conservative, and people are kind of afraid of being impolite or being controversial. But, you know, it's like what was great about Trump. He had obviously lived in a very liberal part of the country, and it and, and makes you mad. And, and, and it makes you great talk shows. You, you've had to live with Democratic outrages, and it gives you the guts and the boldness to just say it like it is. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. And thanks. I guess I guess that I never thought about it that way, that, you know, you get used to the abuse. You get used to being angry <laughs> and yep, calling yep. these people out <laughs> saying, you know what, you're full of crap. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it is refreshing to see the media do it. I know that, you know, for me to do it, that's what I do. But uh, it's great when people in the media actually do it because – I wouldn't uh, if I had to bet money right now, I would not think that this guy Kelly is a uh, conservative Republican. I'd bet that he's probably a a machine Democrat, just like others. But she was so outside of the norm, just like um, Bill de Blasio in New York. Again, very outside of the norm. They, They pushed Democrat politics so far to the left that people were like, eh. But even de Blasio got reelected. And now we have this guy Adams in New York that is uh, interesting to me because he's probably, you know, uh, more mainstream uh, in line with people, Democrats, than than de Blasio ever was. And that's likely what will happen in Chicago. I doubt they're going to go with a, with a MAGA Republican, as uh, as Biden would say, uh, as their next mayor. They're going to go with, a, you know, more traditionalist type of Democrat and not like a JFK Democrat, just one that's not an avowed socialist. And, and, and that's what ends up happening when you have these people that are just – beholden and sold out to the, to the crazy, uh, the, the most fringe elements of the, in my opinion, radical left, that it, it turns off a lot of people. And I, I ask because, you know, I go places and people, they're like, oh, you know, how was your job? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I talk to them and, and they'll tell me, well, you know, I don't really listen to conservative talk radio. I'm not really into that, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, we get to talking about the issues and they don't disagree with me. Because they also think that things are going crazy in America uh, these days. And that's where I think um, the Democrats are miscalculating. But I think it's not the Democrats, right? It's it's just the most left-leaning amongst the Democrats that are really going off the deep end. And uh, it's just interesting how the rest of them aren't saying, hey, shut up. <laughs> You're killing it for the rest of us, right? I mean, you would think, Sarah, that somebody would, would chime in and say, enough's enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel bad for moderate Democrats because the radical left has taken control of the Democratic Party. Yep. And, and it's it seems like they're goners. Like there, there's no more space for that type of uh, um, centrist type of politics where, you know, you, you uh, 
you, you try to govern. <laughs> I think that's a thing of uh, of the past. But Sarah, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Uh, let's continue our journey across America here. And let's go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Great morning show there, by the way. I was on that station not too long ago. Are other banks bailing them out? Let's find out. Steve, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right. I love listening to your show, and uh, I listen to it every night after work. Well, I I appreciate that. All right. You're great. Uh, this bank in California that failed the Silicon Valley Bank. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm just curious of, uh, yeah, maybe uh, I think China might be, may or may not be first in line to uh, try to bail these people out with. I'm sure China has something to do with it here. You know what? I wouldn't doubt it, Steve, because China has always made it their their business to put their money into things that are critically important to the United States. So, you know, I remember years ago, many years ago, when I was a little kid, it was Japan. Japan was making a very aggressive move on purchasing big, iconic pieces of real estate all over New York City. And uh, and interestingly, Donald Trump, the real estate mogul back then, he was on TV talking about this all the time, saying, I think it's bad. I think it's bad that, that you know, the Japanese are trying to buy up all these properties in New York City. And what are we going to do? Beholden to Japan? It doesn't work that way. Right. So he was saying, you know, if, if we're going to if there's going to be a sell off of a lot of these buildings like the Helmsley Hotel and other buildings like that that were on the Chrysler building, uh, he was saying, you know, we should be buying them. You know, those of us that are Americans that are real estate developers and and he ended up buying the Chrysler building and, and, and some others. But what was interesting was that was the case then. You fast forward to today and it's China, right? China wants to be the person that's the, the lean holder in, in so many of these positions. So it wouldn't surprise me if um, a an organization, a hedge fund, somebody that has some money to make these investments, that is, of course, you know, half owned or 51 percent owned by the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, if they, in fact, uh, weren't saying, hey, look, we're happy to help. Um, wouldn't surprise me in the least because that's what they do. They always position themselves that way. But ultimately, I think there's so much of our debt that's currently owned by China. I don't know if it's whatever, 20 percent, 30 percent, something like that. Um, and you could fact check me on that. But that they already own. And and this is one of the, the pieces of leverage I think China's always had is that they could say, hey, look, you know, how about we uh, cash in some of that debt? And they don't want to do that because it would be detrimental. So I understand that it, it makes sense for China to come in and swoop in and, and buy uh, some of these troubled assets with the, with the hope that they could, you know, continue to expand in that area and that they won't be troubled forever. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised in the least, but uh, it seems like they're just trying to sell them off to whoever buys distressed assets. And, uh, you know, they're trying to make the best situation out of a bad situation. Right. I, I'm willing to bet that China has some kind of hand in this through some proxy company or a hundred percent after you know, Steve, after we look at what happened with um, – uh, and again, I'm, I'm looking more politically and strategically, not in terms of banking. But when we look at what happened with the National Institutes of Health and how Dr. Fauci said, no, we, we're not doing any gain-of-function research in China. 
and and you know he was adamant about it and of course it, it was disproved that you know of course they they the national institutes of health and allergy infectious diseases and whatever that he ran uh made the grant to the eco health alliance and eco health alliance went ahead and doled the money over to the wuhan institute of virology so um it wouldn't surprise me in the least if there was some sort of proxy deal here one way or another with China involved. So yeah, I don't think you're too far off, Steve. Thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate you calling in. You're welcome to call in anytime. Big shout out to everybody in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. And uh, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's me, Rich Valdez and America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and you could uh, always catch me on social media at Rich Valdez. That's Valdez with an S at the end, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And, of course, I'm looking forward to your calls as well. I want to give you a, a quick update on what's going on with Vladimir Putin uh, because Vladimir Putin has been issued an arrest warrant by the International Criminal Court. And we have the... Um, statement that was issued by the International Criminal Court. Listen to this. The International Criminal Court has issued two warrants of arrest in the Ukraine situation for Vladimir Putin, President of the Russian Federation, and for Maria Lvova-Belova, Commissioner of the Russian President for Children's Rights, for the alleged war crimes of deportation of children from Ukrainian-occupied territories into the Russian Federation. It is forbidden by international law for occupied powers to transfer civilians from the territory they live in to other territories. Children enjoy special protection under the Geneva Convention. The contents of the warrants are secret in order to protect victims. The ICC attaches great importance to the protection of victims, especially children. Nevertheless, the judges of the chamber and dealing with this case decided to make the existence of the warrants public in the interest of justice and to prevent the commission of future crimes. This is an important moment in the process of justice before the ICC. The judges have reviewed the information and evidence submitted by the prosecutor and determined that there are credible allegations against these persons for the alleged crimes. The ICC is doing its part of work. As a court of law, the judges issued arrest warrants. Their execution depends on international cooperation. So the execution of these warrants depends on international cooperation. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know how you're going to oust Vladimir Putin uh, because more countries are involved. I guess they're saying we're going to storm the Bastille. We're going to head over to the Gremlin and uh, execute a search warrant. Let me see your hands. I mean, <laughs> what are they thinking? You know, uh, I, I don't know how that even works. I've always thought the ICC to be a uh, a branch of the UN in many ways. And I, I just, 
I'm not into the whole global governance thing. However, I I agree that uh, he's a tyrant and you've got you to check him somehow. I just don't know if that's the way to do it. But Russia has decided to, uh, A, say, we don't acknowledge your court. Uh, so no, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. We're done here. And uh, they've also decided to give state awards to the pilots that in effect shoulder checked an American drone, a U.S. Air Force drone that was, uh, I think it was a U.S. Air Force drone, if I'm reading that correctly, uh, just as U.S. drone here. But uh, the uh, U.S. drone was there minding its own business. If, if you haven't seen the video, you should. Uh, I'll put this on Twitter so you could take a look at it, at Rich Valdez with an S on Twitter and all the social media. But uh, it's it's worth watching the video. You see the the Russian MiG come and it it gets super close and uses its wing and bah, it just rocks this um, drone. And uh, these guys are now getting awards. The Russian government's awarded the pilots involved in the harassment and crash of a U.S. drone in international airspace. Uh, Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu, S-H-O-I-G-U, presented state awards to the fighter pilots responsible for downing the U.S. drone over the Black Sea earlier this week. Look at that. It's their lucky day. In the official statement, the Ministry of Defense commended the pilots for uh, preventing the drone from violating the boundaries of the temporary airspace regime established for special military operation. Huh. Okay. So I guess that's what they're calling it. Uh, It's normally international airspace, but we were using temporary boundaries because we were running special military operations. So the statement accuses the U.S. of flying uh, with its transponder off, which who knows? That may be the case. Maybe that was our version of a spy balloon. I mean, a weather balloon. Excuse me. The Russian Ministry of Defense stood by its earlier claims that the aircraft at no point touched the drone, despite the U.S. video shows a jet clipping its propeller, (laughs) forcing the drone to crash into the Black Sea. That's so funny. They got caught in their lie. The Russian aircraft did not use onboard weapons, did not come in contact with the unmanned aerial vehicle, uh, is what is what they said. (laughs) Did not come in contact with the drone and returned safely back to the home airfield. So... Uh, yeah, they're full of it, and uh, we know it. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Speaking of uh, the military, the Veterans Administration is going to drop Abraham Lincoln's quote as their motto because it doesn't include women. A new uh, VA statement references the Lincoln quote, and it avoids gendered pronouns to be inclusive of women who've served. Isn't this one of the craziest things you've ever hurled? (laughs) That's Freudian there. Uh, The Department of Veteran Affairs uh, says that it's officially changed its mission statement, dropping a quote from former President Lincoln because it used male pronouns and was viewed by some as excluding women. Isn't that something? I think that's kind of messed up. But the, um, the, the point here, and, and the, the quote in question, their new motto is to fulfill President Lincoln's promise to care for those who have served in our nation's military and for their families, caregivers and survivors. The this new statement replaces the original 1959 mission statement, which featured a quote from Lincoln's second inaugural back in 1865 
which was, quote, to care for him who shall have borne the battle for his widow and his orphan, end quote. I think that's a disgrace. Anyway, we're going to get to your call straight ahead. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say about this and other topics. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's see, who do we go to? Let's go to the center of the country, to Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Check in with Paul. Hey, Paul, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, uh, Rich, where's me gold? Well, I guess it's not in the Silicon Bank. <laughs> Those guys, I'll tell you. <laughs> that's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. There is no pot of gold in the SVB rainbow. Exactly. Um, now, do you ever watch those um, uh, uh, leprechaun shows? You know where the you know the leprechaun wants his gold. That kind of reminds me of the government. You know they always want their gold. You know and they'll come after mm-hmm. you in any way they can. But I would like to ask you a question. My grandma's yeah. maiden name was McNally, and um, oh. she made the best corned beef cabbage, corned beef and cabbage. And um, she would always tell me that let it sit for a day and then eat it the next day. And it's really good. And I just know, wanted to know if you like corned beef and cabbage. So the answer is yes, I do. I like corned beef more than corned beef and cabbage. But I've had corned beef and cabbage, and I like cabbage. I've had it the traditional Irish way. I love it. I also like eating cabbage and um, and corned beef. Uh, outside of the the way it's served uh, traditionally. Matter of fact, there's a Cuban place by me, which I talk about a lot. Uh, they make a really good corned beef there, a, a shredded beef, ropa vieja is what they call it in Spanish. But it's 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 a very similar recipe. And uh, you do that with some of the shredded cabbage instead of the, the, the way it's typically served. And uh, I like that even more. Uh, cabbage, really good for you, by the way. I didn't know. I just happened to like it. But yeah, I love that stuff. And I did. I grew up in Brooklyn, so there was a lot of Irish around us. And y- you can't go wrong with some corned beef and cabbage, Paul. Yeah, Grandma always told me that uh, cabbage was very good for you. And she lived to be 89 years old. So uh, yeah. Godspeed to you, Grandma. And you're doing a good job, Rich. Godspeed to you, man. Have a nice weekend. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your call. Always good to hear your voice from WHIZ in Zanesville, Ohio. And it's always good to be with you guys, the American people, right? Everybody across the fruited plain, all of the listeners. Uh, this program is, we have the, the good fortune of being on, <clears throat> I don't know, let's see. I think somewhere between 200 and 300, uh, 200 that have recently been cleared as, as new affiliates that have re-signed for America at night and probably about another hundred that are, you know, up in the air thinking that they're sticking around or not or whatever. But uh, we're still on there and I'm grateful for that. And it's amazing uh, to reach this amount of people and uh, be with you guys each day. And I love being live and taking calls. That's probably the, the best part of the program is that we get to connect with you guys in real time. So hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're going to do it all over again on Monday. Don't miss it.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're gonna pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.